Chapter Twelve of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties, by Fanny Burney. Chapter Twelve. Selina, regarding herself as a free agent, since Ireton professed a respect for Ellis that made him ashamed of his former doubts, flew, the next morning, to the chamber of that young person, to talk over the play, Lord Melbury, and Lady Aurora Granville, but found her protégé absorbed in deep thought, and neither able nor willing to converse. When the family assembled to breakfast, Mrs. Maple declared that she had not closed her eyes the whole night from the vexation of having admitted such an unknown wanderer to sup at her table and to mix with people of rank. Elinor was wholly silent. They were not yet separated when Lady Aurora Granville and Mrs. Howell called to renew their thanks for the entertainment of the preceding evening. "'But Miss Ellis?' said Lady Aurora, looking around her, disappointed. "'I hope she is not more indisposed.' "'By no means she is quite well again,' answered Mrs. Maple, in haste to destroy a disposition to pity, which she thought conferred undue honour upon the stranger. "'But shall we not have the pleasure to see her?' "'She generally breakfasts in her own room,' answered Mrs. Maple, with much hesitation." "'May I, then,' said Lady Aurora, going to the bell, "'beg that somebody will let her know how happy I should be to inquire after her health.' "'Your ladyship is too good,' cried Mrs. Maple, in great confusion, and preventing her from ringing. "'But Miss Ellis, I don't know why, is so fond of keeping her chamber that there is no getting her out of it somehow.' "'Perhaps, then, she will permit me to go upstairs to her.' "'Oh, no, not for the world. Besides, I believe she has walked out.' Lady Aurora now applied to Selina, who was scampering away upon a commission of search, when Mrs. Maple, following her, privately insisted that she should bring back intelligence that Miss Ellis was taken suddenly ill. Selina was forced to comply, and Lady Aurora, with serious concern, to return to Brighthelmstone ungratified. Mrs. Maple was so much disconcerted by this incident, and so nettled at her own perplexed situation, that nothing saved Ellis from an abrupt dismission, but the representations of Mrs. Fenn, that some fine work, which the young woman had just begun, would not look of a piece if finished by another hand. The next morning the breakfast party was scarcely assembled, when Lord Melbury entered the parlour. He had ridden over, he said, to inquire after the health of Miss Ellis, in the name of his sister, who would do herself the pleasure to call upon her, as soon as she should be sufficiently recovered to receive a visit. Elinor was struck with the glow of satisfaction which illuminated the face of Harley, at this reiterated distinction. A glow of a far different sort flushed that of Mrs. Maple, who, after various ineffectual evasions, was constrained to say that she hoped Miss Ellis would be well enough to appear on the morrow. And, to complete her provocation, she was reduced, when Lord Melbury was gone, to propose herself that Selina should lend the girl a gown, and what else she might require for being seen, once again, without involving them all in shame. 
Ellis, informed by Selina of these particulars, shed a torrent of grateful tears at the interest which she had thus unexpectedly excited. Then, reviving into a vivacity which seemed to renew all the pleasure that she had experienced on the night of the play, she diligently employed herself in appropriating the attire which Selina supplied for the occasion. Mrs. Maple now had no consolation, but that the stay of Lady Aurora in the neighbourhood would be short, as that young lady and her brother were only at Brighthelmstone upon a visit to the Honourable Mrs. Howell, who, having a capital mansion upon the Stein, resided there the greatest part of the year. Mrs. Howell accompanied her young guest to Lewes the following morning. Miss Ellis was inquired for without delay and as Mrs. Maple would suffer no one to view her chamber, she was summoned into the drawing-room. She entered it with a blush of bright pleasure upon her cheeks, yet with eyes that were glistening, and a bosom that seemed struggling with sighs. Lady Aurora hastened to meet her, uttering such kind expressions of concern for her indisposition, that Ellis, with charmed sensibility, involuntarily advanced to embrace her but rapidly, and with timid shame, drew back, her eyes cast down, and her feelings repressed. Lady Aurora, perceiving the design, and its check, instantly held out her hand, and smiling, saying, Would you cheat me of this kindness? led her to a seat next to her own upon a sofa. The eyes of the stranger were not now the only ones that glistened. Harleigh could not see her thus benignly treated or rather, as he conceived, thus restored to the treatment which she had been accustomed, and which he believed her to merit, without feeling tears moisten his own. With marked civility, though not with the youthful enthusiasm of Lady Aurora, Mrs. Howell also made her compliments to Miss Ellis. Lord Melbury arrived soon afterwards, and, the first ceremonies over, devoted his whole attention to the same person. Oh, powerful prejudice! thought Harleigh. What is judgment, and where is perception in your hands? The ladies of this house, having first seen this charming incognita in tattered garments, forlorn, desolate, and distressed, governed by the prepossession thus excited of her inferiority, even to this moment either neglect or treat her harshly, not moved by the varied excellencies that should create gentler ideas, nor open to the interesting attractions that might give them more pleasure than they could bestow, while these visitors, hearing that she is a young lady of family, and meeting her upon terms of equality, find at once that she is endowed with talents and accomplishments for the highest admiration, and with a sweetness of manner, and powers of conversation, irresistibly fascinating. The visit lasted almost the whole morning, during which he observed, with extreme satisfaction, not only that the dejection of Ellis wore away, but that a delight in the intercourse seemed reciprocating between herself and her young friends, that gave new beauty to her countenance, and new spirit to her existence. When the visitors rose to be gone, "'I cannot tell you, Miss Ellis,' said Lady Aurora, "'how happy I shall be to cultivate your acquaintance.' will you give me leave to call upon you for half an hour to-morrow ellis with trembling pleasure cast a fearful glance at mrs maple who hastily turned her head another way ellis then gratefully acceded to the proposal miss ellis i hope said mrs howell in taking leave 
will permit me also to have some share of her society when i have the honour to receive her at brighthelmstone ellis touched enchanted could attempt no reply beyond a curtsey and stole with a full heart and eyes overflowing to her chamber the instant that they left the house mrs maple was now in a dilemma which she would have deemed terrible beyond all comparison but from what she experienced the following minute when the butler put upon the table a handful of cards left by the groom of mrs howell amongst which mrs maple perceived the name of miss ellis mingled with her own and that of the miss jodrells in an invitation to a small dancing-party on the ensuing thursday this exceeds all she cried if i don't get rid of this wretch she will bring me into universal disgrace she shall not stay another day in my house has she madam for a single moment said harleigh with quickness given you cause to repent your kind assistance or reason to harbour any suspicion that you have not bestowed it worthily why you go beyond elinor herself now mr harleigh for even she you see does not ask me to keep her any longer miss jodrell answered harleigh turning with an air of gentleness to the mute elinor is aware how little a single woman is allowed to act publicly for herself without risk of censure censure interrupted elinor disdainfully you know i despise it he affected not to hear her and continued miss jodrell leaves therefore madam to your established situation in life the protection of a young woman whom circumstances have touchingly cast upon your compassion and who seems as innocent as she is indigent and as formed nay elegant in her manners as she is obscure and secret in her name and history i make not any doubt but miss jodrell would be foremost to sustain her from the dangers of lonely penury to which she seems exposed if deserted were my brother already he approached elinor lowering his voice she rose to quit the room with a look of deep resentment but could not first escape hearing him finish his speech with as happy as i hope soon to see him ah mr harleigh said mrs maple when shall we bring that to bear she never pronounces a positive rejection answered harleigh yet i make no progress in my peace offerings he would then have entered more fully upon that subject in the hope of escaping from the other mrs maple however never forgot her anger but for her interest and selina was forced to be the messenger of dismission she found ellis so revived that to destroy her rising tranquillity would have been a task nearly impossible had selina possessed as much consideration as good humour but she was one amongst the many in whom reflection never precedes speech and therefore though sincerely sorry she denounced without hesitating the sentence of mrs maple ellis was struck with the deepest dismay to be robbed thus of all refuge at the very moment when she flattered herself that new friends perhaps a new asylum were opening to her whither could she now wander and how hope that others to whom she was still less known would escape the blasting contagion and believe that distress might be guiltless though mysterious a few shillings were all that she possessed and she saw no prospect of any recruit elinor had not once spoken to her since the play and the childish character even more than the extreme youth of selina made it seem improper 
in so discarded a state, to accept any succour from her clandestinely. Nevertheless, the awaited letter was not yet arrived. The expected friend had not yet appeared. How, then, quit the neighbourhood of Brighthelmstone, where alone any hope of receiving either still lingered? The only idea that occurred to her was that of throwing herself upon the compassion of her new acquaintances, faithfully detailing to them her real situation at Mrs. Maple's, and appealing to their generosity to forbear, for the present, all inquiry into its original cause. This determined, she anxiously desired, before her departure, to restore, if she could discover their owner, the anonymous bank-notes, which she was resolute not to use, and hearing the step of Harleigh passing her door in descending the stairs, she hastened after him with the little packet in her hand. Turning round as he reached the hall, and observing, with pleased surprise, her intention to speak to him, he stopped. "'You have been so good to me, sir,' she said, "'so humane and so considerate by every possible occasion, that I think I may venture to beg yet one more favour of you, before I leave Luz.' Her dejected tone extremely affected him, and he waited her explanation with looks that were powerfully expressive of his interest in her welfare. Some one, with great but mistaken kindness, she continued, has imagined my necessities stronger than my—she stopped, as if at a loss for a word, and then, with a smile, added, My pride, others, perhaps, will say, but to me it appears only a sense of right. If, however, my lengthened suspense forces me to require more assistance of this sort than I already owe to the Miss Jodrells, and to the benevolent Admiral, I shall have recourse to the most laborious personal exertions, rather than spread any further the list of my pecuniary creditors. Harleigh did not, or seemed not, to understand her, yet would not resist taking the little packet, which she put into his hands, saying— I have some fear that this comes from Mr. Ireton. I shall hold myself inexpressibly obliged to you, sir, if you'll have the goodness to clear up that doubt for me, and, should it prove a fact, to return it to him with my thanks, but the most positive assurance that its acceptance is totally impossible." Harleigh looked disturbed, yet promised to obey. "'And if,' cried she, "'you should not find Mr. Ireton to be my creditor, you may possibly discover him in a person to whom I owe far other services, and unmingled esteem, and should that be the case, say to him, I beg, sir, that even from him I must decline an obligation of this sort, though my debts to him of every other are nearly as innumerable as their remembrance will be indelible. She then hastened away, leaving Harleigh impressed with such palpable concern, that she could no longer doubt that the packet was already deposited with its right owner. He passed into the garden, and she was going back, when, at the entrance of the breakfast-parlour, she perceived Elinor, who seemed sternly occupied in observing them. Ellis curtsied, and stood still. Elinor moved not, and was gloomily silent. Struck with her mien, her stillness, and her manner, Ellis, in a fearful voice, inquired after her health, but received a look so indignant, yet wild, that, affrighted and astonished, she retreated to her chamber. As she turned round upon entering it, to shut herself in, 
immediately before her stood Elinor. She looked yet paler, and seemed in a sort of stupor. Ellis respectfully held open the door, but did not advance. The fury, however, of her aspect was abated, and Ellis, in a voice condolingly soft, asked whether she might hope that Miss Jodrell would, once more, condescend to sit with her before her departure. At these words Elinor seemed to shake herself, and presently, though in a hollow tone, pronounced, "'Are you then going?' Ellis plaintively answered, "'Yes.' "'And with whom?' cried Elinor, raising her eyes with a glance of fire. "'With no one, madam. I go alone.' This answer was uttered with a firmness that annulled all suspicion of deceit. Elinor appeared again to breathe. "'And whither?' she demanded. "'Whither is it you go?' "'I know not, alas, but I mean to make an attempt at Howell Place.' The countenance of Elinor now lost its rigidity, and with a cry almost of ecstasy she exclaimed, "'Upon Lord Melbury, your new admirer! Oh, go to him, hasten to him! Dear, charming Ellis, away to him at once!' Ellis, half smiling, answered, "'No, madam, I go to Lady Aurora Granville.' Elinor, without replying, left the room, but, quick in action as an idea, returned almost instantly loaded with a packet of clothes. "'Here, most beautiful Ophelia,' she cried, "'look over this trumpery. You know how skilfully you can arrange it. You must not appear to disadvantage before dear little Lord Melbury.' Ellis, now nearly offended, drew back. "'Oh, I know I ought to be excommunicated for giving such a hint,' cried Elinor, whose spirits were rather exalted than recovered though everybody sees how the poor boy is bewitched with you but you delicate sentimentalists are never yourselves to suspect any danger till the men are so crazy twould be murder to resist them and then you know acceptance is an act of mere charity ellis laughed at her raillery yet declined her wardrobe saying that she had resolved upon frankly stating to lady aurora all that she was able to make known of her situation well that's more romantic returned Elinor, and so twill be more touching, especially to the little peer, for as you won't say who you are, he can do no less than, like Selina, conclude you to be a princess in disguise. And that, as you know, will bring the match so properly forward, that parents and uncles and guardians, and all those supernumeraries of the creation, will learn the business only just in time to drown themselves. Ellis heard this with a calmness that showed her superior to offering any vindication of her conduct, and Elinor more gently added, "'Now don't construe all this into either a sneer or a reprimand. If you imagine me an enemy to what the old court call unequal connections, you do me egregious injustice. I detest all aristocracy. I care for nothing upon the earth but nature, and I hold no one thing in the world worth living for but liberty.' and liberty, you know, has but two occupations, plucking up and pulling down. To me, therefore, tis equally diverting to see a beggar swell into a duchess, or a duchess dwindle into a beggar. Ellis tried to smile, but felt shocked many ways, and Elinor, gay now as a lark, left her to get ready for Howell Place. While thus employed, a soft tap called her to the door, where she perceived Harleigh. I will detain you, he said, but a moment. 
I can find no owner for your little packet. You must suffer it, therefore, still to encumber you, and should any accident or any transient inconvenience make its contents even momentarily useful to you, do not let any idea of its having ever belonged to Mr. Ireton impede its employment. I have examined that point thoroughly, and I can positively assure you that he has not the least knowledge even of its existence." As she held back from taking it, he put it upon a step before the door, and descended the stairs without giving her time to answer. She did not dare either to follow or to call him, lest Elinor should again appear, but she felt convinced that the banknotes were his own, and became less uneasy at a short delay though equally determined upon restitution. She was depositing them in her work-bag, when Selina came jumping into the room. "'Oh, Ellis!' she cried, "'I have the best news in the world for you. Aunt Maple fell into the greatest passion you ever saw, at hearing you were going to Howell Place.' "'What?' says she, "'shall I let her disgrace me for ever, by making known what a poor wanderer I have taken into my house, and permitted to eat at my table? It would be a thing to ruin me in the opinion of the whole world.' So then, after the greatest fuss that ever you knew in your life, she said you should not be turned away till Lady Aurora was gone. Ellis, however hurt by this recital, rejoiced in the reprieve. The difficulties, nevertheless, of Mrs. Maple did not end here. The next morning she received a note from Mrs. Howell, with intelligence that Lady Aurora Granville was prevented from making her intended excursion by a very violent cold, and to entreat that Mrs. Maple would use her interest with Miss Ellis to soften her ladyship's disappointment by spending the day at Howell Place, for which purpose Mrs. Howell begged leave to send her carriage at an early hour to lose. Mrs. Maple read this with the collar indescribable. She would have sent word that Ellis was ill, but she foresaw an endless embarrassment from inquiring visits, and, after the most fretful but fruitless lamentations, passionately declared that she would have nothing more to do with the business, and retired to her room, telling Elinor that she might answer Mrs. Howell as she pleased, only charging her to take upon herself all responsibility of consequences. Elinor, enchanted, fixed upon two o'clock for the arrival of the carriage, and Ellis, who heard the tidings with even exquisite joy, spent the intermediate time in preparations, for which she no longer declined the assisting offers of Elinor, who, wild with renovated spirits, exhorted her, now in raillery, now in earnest, but always with agitated vehemence, to make no scruple of going off with Lord Mulberry to Gretna Green. When the chaise arrived, Mrs. Maple, restless and curious, suddenly descending, but was filled with double envy and malevolence at the sight of the look of pleasure which Ellis wore, but which gave to Harley a satisfaction that counterbalanced his regret at her quitting the house. "'I have only one thing to mention to you, Mrs. Ellis,' said Mrs. Maple, with a gloomy scowl. I insist upon it that you don't say one syllable to Mrs. Howell, nor to Lady Aurora, about your meanness and low condition, and that ragged state that we found you in, patched and blackened, and made up for an object to excite pity. Mind that, for if you go to Howell Place only to make out that I have been telling a parcel of stories, I shall be sure to discover it, and you shall repent it as long as you live. Ellis seemed tempted to leave the room without condescending to make any reply but she checked herself, and desired to understand more clearly what Mrs. Maple demanded. 
that there may be only one tale told between us, and that you will be steady to stand to what I have said, of your being a young lady of good family who came over with me from France. Ellis, without hesitation, consented, and Harleigh handed her to the chaise, Mrs. Maple herself not knowing how to object to that civility, as the servants of Mrs. Howell were waiting to attend their lady's guest. "'How happy, how relieved!' cried he, in conducting her out, will you feel in obtaining at least a little reprieve from the narrow prejudice which urges this cruel treatment. "'You must not encourage me to resentment,' cried she, smiling, "'but rather bid me, as I bid myself, when I feel it rising, subdue it by recollecting my strange, indefinable situation in this family.'" End of chapter 12 Recording by Roxana Nazari